Okay, Parshas Shemos really brings us to a whole nif- new, um, I guess not just a new chapter, but it's like the next, you know, part of the series. Next, the next uh, backdrop. Till now, the backdrop and the characters, characters. It's hard to char- characterize them as characters because obviously they were more than just people. They were our ancestors. And you know, you know like when someone does like a ancestry.com, I think that's what it's called. One of these like, you know, to find out, you know, whatever. And then they come up, come upon a picture of their great, great, great grandfather. It's like a very special thing. And this is a thousand times, a million times more than that because they are the patriarchs and matriarchs of not only us, but the whole entity of the Jewish people. And now all of a sudden we transition to Moshe and Moshe is now the main protagonist of the rest of the Torah actually until the end. Um, there's so much that happens in between the end of Parshas Vayechi and the beginning of Parsha Shemais that the Torah doesn't even make mention of. And the Midrashah are replete with episodes and stories. Do you know that Moshe Rabbeinu was a king for 40 years after he left Egypt, before he ended up, before he met Zipporah and got married and had children? And, you know, these things are so many different things. One of the things that I'll just, we'll touch on for a moment before getting into a little bit more about Moshe Rabbeinu is actually something that the Medrash says about Moshe Rabbeinu's father-in-law, Yisra. Before Paroi, when Paroi had the, you know, we think that the Nazis coined the term the Jewish problem. Uh, Paroi actually probably was the first to, to coin it as the Jewish problem. Lavan wanted to kill them, but Paroi was the first one who said, as we'll see, how are we going to deal with the Jewish problem? And Paroi had three advisors that he consulted with. The three advisors were Bilam, who we'll talk more about in a few months. He was the one who cursed, who tried to curse the Jewish people. He was the hired, um, the hired, um, whatever, the hired mercenary or whatever he is, that Balak uh, hired to curse the Jewish people. And then there was Eiv, Job, right? And then there was Yisrael, who was Moshe's father-in-law, Tzipporah's father. That's what the Medrash says. These are the three people that Parai consulted with. What should I do with the Jewish people? Bilam said, yes, Steve. I'm sorry, could you repeat those three people? Yes, Bilam. Thank you. In, in English, I think they pronounce it um, Balam, B-A-A-B-A. Something, B-A-A-L-A-A-M or something. Bilam, he was the one that we learn about later on that Balak hired him to curse. He knew the exact moment when Hashem's anger flared up for that minuscule, uh, the, 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 you know, millisecond, the rega. Um, so he was one of them. Yisroi was was the another that was Tzipporah's father, Moshe's father-in-law. And the third one was Eov. There's a stu- the book of Job. Job, I think, am I pronouncing it correctly? Right, so he was he was a third, according to this medrash, he was the third um, advisor to Parai. Parai asked them, 
how should we deal with the Jewish problem? And Bilaam said, wipe them out. And as a result of Bilaam giving that advice, he was punished measure for measure, and he was eventually killed by the sword, as we see later on in Parshas Pinchas. <clears throat> I think it's in Parshas Pinchas or in Parshas Balak. Maybe Balak. That was Bilaam. Yisroi said, don't touch them, don't harm them. And he, because of that, he had to run away. And that's how he ended up in Midian, because he was a refugee, because Pare was not too satisfied with his response. And he was rewarded measure for measure. And he got a son-in-law, Moshe Rabbeinu. And, you know, that's a big yichos, that's a big a big uh, treasure that he got, and he was rewarded measure for measure. The third advisor was Job, was Eov. And Eov was caught between a rock and a hard place. He said, on the one hand, I can't say like Bilaam that he should destroy the Jewish people, kill them out, because I know that you can't really start off with the Jewish people, with the Jewish God. On the other hand, I know that Parah is not interested in me saying what Yisroi said. And therefore, Yisroi remained silent. As a result of Yisroi remaining silent, he was also rewarded or punished measure for measure. And he was afflicted with terrible um, afflictions, physical, emotional, in the sense that he lost he lost his wife, he lost his children, he lost all his money. He had physical ailments that were, boils took over his body. Um, Mark, you mean to ask, yes, Eov remained silent. Not sure, it's hard for me to, I'm not sure if I, Mark doesn't have a microphone, so he's asking via Ksav. You know, there's an interesting question, if someone, for testimony, you have to use your voice. You have to speak it. It says, Mipihem. You have to use your words to, to say testimony in a Jewish court of law. And the Gemara Darshan, Mipihem Savam. From their mouths, but not from their words. They can't write it. Not from their written word. Over here, we don't have that rule. Especially because he doesn't have uh, the ability to speak with the, without a microphone. But Eo of Job remained silent. And as a result, the punishment was that. So ask the Briskarov a very simple question. Yisro, we understand he was rewarded measure for measure. Bilam, we understand he was punished measure for measure. Where is the measure for measure attribute in Eoif, Job, as a result of his remaining silent, that he gets all of these afflictions and he has all these pains and tragedies in his life? And the Briskarov says like this, Take, without getting political, and I'm not getting political because I'm, not, I'm talking about actually Scandinavia. I'm not talking about American politics. I'm talking about Scandinavian politics. In Scandinavian politics, if there is a, if there is a politician from a given party who um, has to vote on a certain matter and he's stuck between a rock and a hard place, usually... What people, what a politician in Scandinavia will do 
he will abstain because he knows that if he, especially someone in, who's in a, uh, what are they called? Swing districts, I think it's called, right? He can't, he's, he's really darned if he does, darned if he doesn't. And therefore he'll abstain, maybe he won't say anything just to not to raise the ire of some of his constituents that are gonna be disappointed. That is the way the political, that's the way the political environment is in Scandinavia. It may be like that in other countries as well, but in Scandinavia, that's usually how it works. And that was Eov's judgment over here. That was Job's calculation. He said, I, I'm not, I have nothing to gain and only to lose if I even as much as open my mouth. And therefore, I'll just remain silent. And he figured, I'm not doing anything wrong. Hashem can't be angry at me because I'm not, I mean, I'm, there's nothing I could do. It's not going to make a difference anyway. Anyways, said Job. Even if I agree to Yisra, is Pare then going to say, okay, I'll accept the majority opinion? No. He already made up his mind. You know, it's like people say, they don't ask the Shiloh to the rabbi anymore. They Google which rabbi to ask the Shiloh to, to get the right answer, right? That I know the answer I want to get. And that's unfortunately the way sometimes people think. None of us, but people think like that. And Paroi was now no different. He made up his mind and that's it. So Eov said, what is there to gain for me to even open my mouth and defend the Jewish people? Yes, Leslie. Well, silence is generally recognized as tacit approval of something. That is true. That is true. Oh, the Gemara yeah. actually says that. Well, yeah. That's true. I guess the difference over here is, so what Leslie is basically saying is, if he's silent, that means he's accepting the argument. But over here, it's almost like, well, should we do this or this? And the answer is yes. Right? Because if he's silent, who's, who is he accepting? Is he accepting Yisro? his advice, or is he accepting Bilam's advice? So his silence cannot be interpreted definitively in one, you know, accepting one answer versus the other. Perhaps that's why that wouldn't be the concern over here. But that's, so that is a good point. That's that if a person, uh, yeah, that, that if a person is silent in, in Besden or something like that, that's accepted as if they admitted to it. But as to Briskarov, what also, was- I think yeah. you have to have a certain amount of backbone if you're going to be a leader, if, yes. if you want to be a leader, mm -hmm. you have to stand up and say certain things at certain times that might not be really popular, but they might be right. And right. if you can't That's do that, true. and then mm -hmm. you say, well, if I won't say anything, I'll keep my mouth shut. They will know if I'm hit from here and from there. Then that again is that that's not those are not the character traits of a successful leader. That you are, you are correct. However, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you the other side of the coin, and then we'll see what the Briskorov said, although you're touching on what he said. The other side of the coin is the story of a rabbi who had a congregant who was extremely wealthy, but as just like last week's or two weeks ago's wealthy guy, he was also miserly. And the rabbi, there was a, there was a campaign going on for some kind of fundraiser, and the rabbi calls up this fellow and he says, can I please come to your office to meet with you? And of course, of course, of course. And the, ra the, the person is very flattered. The rabbi is going to come to him, but he says, you know what, Rebbe, I'll come to the Rav's house. You don't have to come to my office. No, no, no. I want to come to you. Okay. Tells him when to come. They make up the meeting. The rabbi comes to the office 
And they sit down in the, the fancy office of this wealthy fellow. And the Rav sits there with this awkward silence. And he's just quiet. After about 20 minutes, the Rav says, okay, thank you for seeing me. Have a wonderful day. And the wealthy fellow says to the Rav, Rebbe, did you need something? Did you want something? Can I help with anything? He says, yeah, I wanted to come to fulfill a mitzvah. He says, okay, fine. Yeah, what? Yeah. Okay, so what can I do? And the Rav said, no, no, I already fulfilled the mitzvah. So the fellow said, what mitzvah did the Rav fulfill? So the Rav said, oh, what I fulfilled was, the Gemara says that just like it's a mitzvah, to tell Musr to, to chastise someone, and a, you know, like a, a, a student, when the person will listen, it's also a mitzvah to remain silent and not say anything when the person is not going to listen. So the, the wealthy guy says, what, well, of course I'm going to listen to whatever the Rav says. What do you mean I'm not going to listen? Of course I'm going to listen. So the Rav said, okay, no, 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 it's not, it's not the guy. You're not going to listen. That's why I fulfilled the mitzvah. And the wealthy person was pretty persistent. So finally, the Rav said, okay, fine. You know what? We have this campaign for the family that you know has this tragedy. We fell them, and we need to raise another $10,000, dollars $20,000. We need your help. And then the wealthy guy starts hemming and hawing. And, and the Rav said, see, I told you, I came to fulfill a mitzvah. You messed it up because you're not listening. Sometimes silence is accepting. And sometimes I have to stand up for what's right, but sometimes it's it's not the 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 um, casualties or the that which will which I'll lose outweighs that which I'll gain by saying it. But in other words, there's no it's a judgment every single time that a person has to make whether to remain silent or not, especially if I'm not going to accomplish anything. But let me tell you what the Biskarov says because the Biskarov says something similar to what Leslie was saying. He says it in different terms. And I'll say it in Yiddish first. The Riskarov said, the the because this is really what Leslie means, just saying it in Yiddish, because Leslie didn't want, you know, he didn't want to make anyone feel like they didn't understand the language. Because Leslie has a major in East in 18th century German literature. So Yiddish is basically much, you know, it's very related to German. So here's what he says. Is that when Leslie was born? Well, yeah, that's that was the. Uh... <laughs> Sorry to interrupt. Oh, that that's when I was graduated from undergraduate school. <laughs> <laughs> says the Riskarov. I thought, okay, I'll schweig. I'll remain quiet. It's not going to help for me to scream out. It's not going to help for me to protest. Says the Riskarov. When a person is in pain, when a person has a sickness, what do they do when they have this bruising, when they have a pain, if a person breaks his leg, what does he do? He cries out. Does it help to cry out? No, it doesn't help regarding the sickness, regarding the, the wound to cry out. But said the Briskarov, asitut vei shreitmen. If it hurts, we cry out. It doesn't help. You still cry out. Eoiv made a judgment. He said, it's not going to help. So therefore, I'll remain silent. Said HaKadosh Baruch Hu, says Hashem, but you see a travesty of justice happening. You have to cry out. 
You have to say something. This was something which was a, a no question about it, that in Hashem's eyes, in the Torah's eyes, this is something which was incorrect to destroy the Jewish people. You have to cry out. It's not going to help. So what? Asetut ve The only challenge is deciding, and that's something which we need. That's what, you know, it says in the, um, it says in the first, in the second mission of Perkei Yavis, the world stands on three things. On Torah, service of Hashem and kindness. Now we know that Torah was symbolized by Yaakov Avinu. Avoidah, service was symbolized by Yitzchak. And Chesed, kindness was symbolized and was, was personified by Avram Avinu. Why is it out of order? Why is Torah first? I think the answer is quite simple. Because service of Hashem or kindness, if it's not done within the misgeret, the frame, and the, the, the confines of the Torah can be misinterpreted and can be misdirected. People think that they're following their spiritual pursuits by, by, by fasting for months on end, from lying down on beds that are with nails sticking out, thinking that this is the right way to serve Hashem. That's the wrong way to serve Hashem. People think they're doing chesed, by doing certain things, and sometimes it's not chesed. The, the first thing is Allah Torah. In this case, it was something which was obvious. It was obvious, it was obvious that this was wrong. Said Hashem to Eov, you got to cry out whether it's going to make a difference or not. That is the first thing from even before this week's parsha of Parsha Shmois. Now, <clears throat> This, let's go on to the second thing for a moment, just to bring out a very a small point, but it's a, an important point. Paroi said, and the words of the Pasuk are, Hava nishak it's right? The, the first parak, chapter one, Pasuk Yud, Pasuk 10. Hava nishak Paroi said, come, let us outsmart them, outsmart the Jewish people, loy Hashem, let us outsmart him. And he came up with the scheme of throwing the children into the Nile. The words, and as our school translates it, let us outsmart him. Let us outsmart the Jewish people. Let us outsmart, so to speak, the hashkocha of that which Hashem wants to do. You know, there's a, in, in Meseches Megillah, I'm jumping the gun a little bit to Purim, but in Meseches Megillah, there's a Taisvis, a commentary of Taisvis over there that says that um, um, just trying to remember. Hold on, just give me a second, if you don't bear with me for a moment, so I can just say it properly. The, the Taisvis over there says regarding Haman, Haman tried to destroy the Jewish people and he made a um, he made a, 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 a um, gallows to hang Haman, to hang, I'm sorry, to hang Mordechai. Um, one second, almost there. So Taisvis says in Meseches Megillah, the commentary over there, Taisvis says that, I apologize, I should have prepared this before, but I just thought I'd just remember this now. Mm-hmm.
Here it is. Okay. Taisva says, I'll share a screen just because it's cool. One second. Here we go. Taisva is a Gemara, Meseches Megillah, page 13b, Yud Gimel Amad Beis. 13b. Taisva says, Hakesef Nosun Loch. Okay. Haman came to Achashverish. He says, I want to buy off the Jewish people. I have 10,000 talents of silver, and I want to be able to destroy the Jewish people. Achashverosh said to Haman, Hakesef nosun loch. The money is given to you, meaning keep the money. Says Taisvis, Gematria, the numerical value, the Hakesef of the word Hakesef, Oile Ho'etz, equals the same amount as Ho'etz, the tree, which is the Pasuk says refers to the tree that gallows that Hamanite prepares. Remez law, it's hinting, Sheyitle Allah, that he will be hung on it. So Reb Ruvain Leuchter from Eretz Yisrael explained, what does Taisvis mean? This is not just a numerical, you know, a numbers game, so to speak. What he's telling us is, Haman said, I'm going to use my money, and I'm going to, so to speak, outsmart what Hashem's hashkacha over the Jewish people. I'm going to destroy them. You see within the silver, within the money itself, you see his downfall. And the idea is you start off with Hashem's people, it's going to boomerang right back at you. Paroi said, let's outsmart. What happened? Let's go ahead for the story. Moshe Rabbeinu ends up being placed onto the Nile River by his mother. Paro's daughter saves the baby and adopts him and brings up the savior of the Jewish people, Moshe, in his house. How I, how, how, what bigger irony can there be than having, than having Paro say, I'm going to outsmart destiny. And it just comes and boomerangs right back at him that Moshe Rabbeinu literally grew up on Paro's lap. Okay. What better, what better, you know, uh, uh, whatever, you know, like a surprise ending, so to speak, can you have? And the idea is very simple. Hashkocha is hashkocha. Hashem is the one who runs the world, not us. As much as we'd like to think otherwise, at the end of the day, Hashem is controlling the world. You know, you know that story with yeah, a little bit today. What was that? He blinked a little bit today. He blinked a little bit. <laughs> you know that story with Rav Noah Weinberg? Someone came to Rav Noah Weinberg and he said, um, he, was, he wasn't, you know, he was not involved in Torah study at all or observance. And Rav Noah Weinberg was talking to him, and, you know, maybe you should uh, consider, you know, learning about your heritage. He said, I don't need to. God loves me. God loves me. Me and God are on the best of terms. Me, you know, I don't really need that. He said, what do you mean God loves you? Because I'll tell you, I was riding on, you know, one of these cliffs or something, either it's Israel or somewhere in, you know, somewhere else in Europe or somewhere. And all of a sudden my bike slipped on something and I started falling down this deep incline. If I'm saying the story wrong, it's a famous story that one of you can correct me. And all of a sudden, miraculously, something, somehow, maybe my shirt got stuck on the tree or something. Arthur, you know what I'm talking about? What happened in the end? Somehow he got saved 
something jetted, jutted out from the mountain and it caught his fall and he didn't fall down all the way down to the, you know, to the valley below or something. And um, so you see that God is looking out for me. And I'm not that that's a fantastic story, but I had just one question. Who do you think pushed you? Okay, obviously he was, he was bringing out the point to him, but I think the message for us is, is, is fairly simple in this regard of Havanes Chakmalei, that there's a hashkacha, there's a hashkacha for this, and there's a hashkacha for that. And they're both for our good. They're both for our good. And for Dan's email that I'm going to get afterwards, is what does this, this part have to do with the title of the class? A challenge or opportunity? Every single thing that Hashem created has a zeh They have positive potential and negative characteristics. Everything, including coronavirus. Yes, obviously, there's something. There's some kind of message that Hashem is sending us. But you know what? There's a concept called that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is maktim refuel lemaka. Hashem brings the, the, the medicine before the sickness. If, if, if such a thing, obviously, you look back to 1918. I don't know the extent of what it was then. I don't know which one was more dangerous. I don't know which one was more devastating. I don't know. But I can tell you one thing. That for, which one? You can't talk. Now. Oh, now I can talk. The... The pandemic of 1918. They had no. They had no way to care for them, and there was a war going on. And our president was shipping guys overseas that were carriers of the virus, and it spread throughout all of Europe. Wow! And there were there were no there were, people were uh, uh, people were dying that they couldn't keep up with the deaths. People had dead people in their houses. Like in Los Angeles now. The, the ambulances won't come to your house if there's no chance that you're gonna survive in the hospital. So they make a decision to leave you at home, to die at home, because there's no room at the hospital. There's no, they're running out of oxygen. Wow. Hashem should watch over everyone. Amen. Well, yeah. But the bottom line is the bottom line I mean, is. Now, I mean, excuse me, but you know, I mean, now they had already identified uh, the uh, SARS virus, mm -hmm. and so uh, so finding the RNA and doing all the scientific uh, stuff that they do to find the protein that causes you know this corona to infect the thing. Well, that was like, took no time at all. Back that was part of the Hashgacha. I'm sure that was part of the Hashgacha. Right. right. That's right. I mean, we lost 300, over 300,000 people. Just America. That's right. That's right. There's no question. Right. That's right. That's right. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, At the end of the day, the amount of potential for growth 
that has occurred as a result of it, both from people thinking more deeply and from people that I'm not, I'm not rationalizing it. I'm not saying or, or saying this is okay because of all the growth that happened. Obviously not. Um, I haven't gotten the memo that I have that, uh, that, uh, <laughs> that um, license. But, but what I could say is, ultimately, it's clear <clears throat> that as much as I have an opportunity to succumb to the challenge and to say, that's it, to throw up my hands in defeat, I also have the opportunity to say, I'm going to grow from this challenge. I'm going to go somewhere from it. I could just, yes, it's like, you know, lifting weights in the gym. Not that I have such experience with that. But it's like lifting weights in the gym. You know, you're picking up 250 pounds and I say, mm, mm, I'm pushing. Oh, or I can say, this is too much. And I just let it fall on my chest, right? I could do it. I could do it. Maybe I'll have to start with 100 pounds, then 125, then 150, then 175, then two, then 225, then 250. But you know what? I could get there. It's all a matter of me taking it and growing from it. One thing is certainly not going to happen is I'm going to be able to change my destiny or change the hashkofa. Now, I'll tell you one more nakuda about this, one more point, and then we'll carry on to another idea. And that is when Moshe, when Hashem tells Moshe that I want you to go to be, speak to Paro and to take the Jewish people out of Mitzrayim, Moshe says to Hashem, Moshe says to him like this, I have a speech impediment. I have a speech impediment. Moshe had a speech impediment. You know how he got a speech impediment? Because his hands, when he was sitting on Paro's lap and there was the hot coals and he touched it, he brought it to his mouth, that was the whole thing. And he had a speech impediment. But you know what the Ran says, the Ran who lived about seven, 800 years ago, he writes that it was Bahashkocho that Moshe should have that speech impediment. You know why? Because if Moshe was a dynamic speaker, then people would think that the, he convinced with using his oratory skills, he just, and his charisma, whatever it may be, he convinced the Jewish people to follow them. He was like a cult leader who could just bring people in. He was draw drew people to him and to accept his message. And Hashem said, no. No, I bedafka specifically want you to have that speech impediment as a result of that. Hitler, Yamach Shemoy, I forgot what it's called. I, there's a certain name for a certain kind of speaker that I forgot what it's called. There's a name for it that maybe one of you could fill me in. I forgot what it, it basically he's a kind of speaker that it, it, it encapsulates the term, encapsulates being dynamic and charismatic and uh, something like that in his speech. I forgot what it's called. What's that? No? She said inspirational. Uh, which one? What did you say, Arthur? Inspirational? Insp I think it was something more than that. Okay. Mimi? I, well, I was thinking um, extemporaneous, where you could speak about anything with such clarity and with such conviction. And you, you know. I, I, you know, I don't think it was that word either. I mean, these those are both those are both good good descriptions, but I, I thought there was a word. Okay, maybe it still be homework. 
one of us to figure out what that word was. I heard it, this is going back like years ago. Rev Gifter, Lahavdal Elov Havdalis. Rev Gifter, the Shiva of Tells in Cleveland, had a similar way of speaking that you would just, it was just such a pleasure to hear him speak. And you just, you know, um, came, you know, connected with him. I forgot what it's called. Blinader. Yes, Dan. It's been a long day. Could you please tell me when you talked about the pandemic or challenging things, but in fact, we can grow from them? Yeah. So there's a positive benefit of growth. What were you linking that to in the Parsha? What was I linking that to? Um, was I linking that to Moshe being um, Paroi making his decree and that leading Moshe to hold on one second. Okay, hold on a second. I'm pausing this for a second. Bring it to where I meant to bring it, because it is. It was. I was connecting it. I knew I had it in my mind of of that idea of making the challenge into an opportunity. But let me bring it to where more directly it relates to the parsha, and that is. Rabbi Yonason Ibishit says, Yonason Ibishit lived a few hundred years ago, and he explained. I don't remember if he's quoting someone or if he says it on his own. He said that Paro specifically chose not to enslave the Levian, excuse me, the Levian, Shevet Levi, the tribe of Levi, that Joel is a part of, and Mark Siegel is a part of, anyone else? No, I'm not a part of them either. So he had purposely did not enslave them, not because he didn't want their work, but rather because he knew that the only way a leader can emerge and can develop from the Jewish people is through the challenges and the hardships of being enslaved. If he, someone had a comfortable life without, out, without challenges, they're not going to be able to steig and develop into, that's right, Alan, that's right, uh, Joel Allen Zarkowski is also a Levi, that's true. Um, then he would not be able to steig and develop into the leader that Moshe Rabbeinu ultimately, ultimately became. And therefore, Pare said, I will not enslave the tribe of Levi. So where did he go wrong? You know where he went wrong? He went wrong because when we are introduced to Moshe as an adult, it says, Vayigdal Hanar, the child of Moshe grew up, he went out to his brothers, and he saw in their pain. And the Medrash says that Moshe, who grew up as a prince, went to share the burden with his brothers, the Jewish people. You know what Parah's mistake was? Parah was 100% right. That without challenges, without hardships, you can't develop into a leader like Moshe Rabbeinu. What Paray underestimated was the power of Noise Bo'olim Chaveroi to see a fellow, a friend's challenge and to bear the burden with him. And that's where Moshe, that's the difference was that Moshe was able to literally, literally feel their pain 
and take the challenge that they had, make it his own, and through that he became the Maishra Abena that he became. That was what I had in mind, um, and that was actually the connection. There's a sefer called Ketzayis HaChoshen. Ketzayis HaChoshen was written by um, somebody Heller, Rev Heller. I forgot his first name. He was a Kayan, also from Shevet Levi. And he wrote a commentary on Choshen Mishpat, which is one of the four volumes of the Shulchan Aruch. When he came to, um, he came to get a Haskama, an approbation for his Sefer. He was a young man. He came to the, uh, the author of the Sefer, the Yeshua Siakov, who was an older rab, Rav in the generation. And he asked him for a approbation. The Rav said, I'll, look, I'll take a look at it. And I'll let you know. The Rav started going through it and he realized, wow, this is amazing. I thought we didn't need this commentary. We already have the commentary of the Urim Vitumim, which was written by Rabbi Yenis and Ibishit, who we just mentioned. But then I realized what this is. He told the Gabai in Shul, light the Shabbos candles that we have, the special Shabbos candles, light them. And he went around the, the town telling them, we're going to have a special Hachnosa Sefer Torah celebration. And he put on his Shabbos clothing. And they had a chuppah. And they started playing music and dancing in the street. And this young Rabbi Heller, the author of the Ksesa sees what's going on. He says, what, what's this? Hey, it looks like Ahmad Sefer Torah. He goes outside and what does he see? That the Rav, Rabbi, or the Yeshua Yaakov, is, is dancing underneath the chuppah with his Shabbos clothes holding the manuscripts of this Sefer. And the Ksayz HaChoshen until today is a staple for every person in Yeshiva. Now, when the Ksayz HaChoshen wrote another Sefer, and that Sefer is called Avne Miluim. Avne Miluim is a Sefer, as a commentary on Evan HaEzer, the, another section of the Shulchan Aruch, which, which deals with the laws of marriages and divorces and those kinds of laws. And that Sefer, while it's learned, is not nearly as popular, not nearly and not nearly as widely used as the Sefer Ksayis HaChoshen. And Rabbi Aaron Leib Steinman, who passed away a number of years ago, he was one of the great Rabbanim in Eretz Yisrael. He said, what's the difference between the two? You know what the difference was? If you look at the Ksayis HaChoshen, you'll see that for much of the Ksayis HaChoshen, he doesn't bring, it's a commentary on the words of the Shulchan Aruch. But he doesn't bring the words of the Shulchan Aruch in most of, in most of the, um, in the old ones at least. It's just his own commentary. Later on, he brings some of the words of the Shulchan Aruch. You know why he didn't? Because he couldn't afford the ink to be able to print those extra words. Not only that, he was so poor that if he would write at the table, the ink was freezing. The ink froze. He wasn't able to write. So he went underneath his bed covers and he wrote it there. Later on in life, when he got, maybe he got a rabbinic position or something and his financial situation improved. And that's when he wrote the Avni Miluim, Seder Baron Leib. That's why the Ktsaisa Choshen is more widely used than the Avni Miluim. Because the Ktsaisa Choshen, he learned it and he wrote it through challenges. And those challenges were infused in everything that he did. Not only was it an opportunity, like we're saying, that Moshe Rabbeinu used 
that challenge to become the Moshe Rabbeinu. But it's even just the tug teglach, the daily grind of challenges that sometimes we face, that makes everything that we're doing into something all that much greater. That was really what I, what I had intended to connect. Um, so thank you for uh, reminding me of that, Dan, because I had, I had the, the bullet point down over here where it says, over here, but I skipped it and I went down over here. So I appreciate that. Um, I did have a very, very, very important thing though. Okay, but you know what? It's about Moshe Rabbeinu. So we can talk about it for the next, like, you know, eight months. Okay, that's the there. We'll get to it next week. Have a wonderful Shabbos.